Good afternoon. This is the Can Creative Live Show on Channel Radio. My name is Nathalie Banex and this show is on every Tuesday at 4 o'clock. We talk about arts and culture in Kent. Today we talk to Nick Broad about his busking project, followed by a short feature about buskers in Canterbury. We have another slot with coach Hazel Adley, this time about money. And to finish, we'll have a feature about the Kent County Photographic Association's exhibition. Find, enjoy and support the best street artists near you. That is the stripe line for the busking project, set up to keep free art on the street worldwide. An app has been designed for the public to find buskers, to find out more about them, to donate, to purchase music. And through the app, buskers are paid and they can sell their music. I talked to one of the founders, Nick Broad, to learn more about the busking project. I'm Nick Broad, I'm the founder of the busking project. Um, I'm not a performer myself, but I've been supporting street performers for the last five years because um, I used to live with a street performer in New York who inspired me and I saw that street performance wasn't respected. He was my cultural hero and uh, yeah, it's just a really interesting interesting uh, demographic. I have been introduced to your website and your project mm -hmm. but before we go into that specific project could you share a few thoughts about busking and why you think some effort should be put into understanding better what it's about? Sure. Busking is the only form of art, live art, that is both created and consumed by society's um, least served communities, people from lower social uh, economic backgrounds. We're talking about people who may have ADHD or um, dropped out of high school or, uh, you know, people who've fallen on hard times, but it also caters for artists who've done masters in performance, you know, they've done ballet, they've gone to circus school, they've, uh, you know, trained as a jazz musician. Nobody's going to see jazz musicians nowadays, so pretty much the only place that they have to share their performance is on the streets. I mean, the streets is one of those places where anybody from any walk of life can come along, watch a live show, um, pay what they want, when they want to, if they want to. <laughs> um, and there's no sort of, you know, it's a real personal human relationship that's not sullied by the cult of celebrity or security guards or tickets or fences or, uh, you know, fancy lighting. It's just an artist and their, and their audience. It sounds like a good place to start if you're a, a musician. Yeah, it's a great place. They say that you can always tell when somebody's done street because they're the person who turns up at a live performance And the uh, event manager will say, hey, what do you need? Do you want a bottle of water? Do you want an avocado or something? And they're just like, nope. You know, do you need uh, an amp or a mic? Nope. You know, like, do, do, do you want to warm up or anything? Nope. You know, I'm fine. I've done this. Um, whereas performers who've traditionally come through, you know, recording studios, they get out in front of a live audience and they panic. So it's a really good way of fortifying your, uh, your confidence and resolve. And do you think it's a viable way of making a living? Name another viable way of making a living as an independent artist. I mean, you know, it's, it's soul-sucking what you have to do at the moment. You know, create a Facebook fan page and, and send people 
to it by posting cat videos and trying to make it go viral and then somehow funneling them to your Bandcamp or iTunes pages and paying iTunes 20% or whatever, whatever the you know, fraction is that they take. You know, street performance, you get out there, you actually meet your audience and they pay you for it. And if you're good and you know how to busk, it's very important that you know how to busk, not just, you know, know how to perform. Um, it, it's, it's quite an art form. If you know how to do it, you can um, make a good hourly, hourly wage and, you know, avoid doing temp work in an office. So do we know how it is perceived by the public? Yeah, there's a lot of people who love it, but even a street performer's best fans, like the guy I used to live with in New York, he would perform on the subway. And every time I saw him perform, there were children dancing and people holding hands and wiping tears out of their eyes and getting onto subway trains, you know, looking nostalgically back over their shoulders as the doors closed. I mean, this was really beautiful. He turned the, he turned the subway into a, into a real performance space. Um, and yet he was still spat on and told to get a real job and moved on by the police and fined. And um, he's got some great stories about how the cops have sort of harassed him while not really wanting to because they have to. But uh, even his best fans, the people who really love, the people who were shouting out, bravo, on the platform, they'd come up to him and say, hey, you should be a professional. And I just thought, he, he is a professional. He's making more money than any other classical musician who's not in an orchestra. He's got a much higher audience than the Metropolitan Opera. And instead of sitting in what they call the pit, and I don't know why any musician would want to sit in a pit, Um, he actually gets to meet the people. You know, he smiles and nods his head and says thank you to every single person who comes up and drops a, a donation in his hat. Um, so, yeah, uh, public views. There are people who really appreciate performers but see the streets as a way out, whereas quite often it's, it is the goal. You know, you meet your audience, you make a living, you perform, you have fun. So now is the time for you to tell us about your busking project. <laughs> The Busking Project was started five years ago as an idea for a documentary. And after a trip where we filmed 300 street performers in 40 cities and 30 countries on five continents over 10 months, we saw the buskers everywhere facing the same problems and nobody out there is addressing them. One of them is the fact that people are carrying less and less cash in their pockets. At the moment in the UK, 10% of a busker's audience has no cash on them and a third of them have less than five pounds. So if I was a busker and I was trying to get a voluntary donation for a CD, a third of my audience wouldn't be able to pay what most people would think of as a minimum amount for a, for a CD nowadays of five pounds. Um, the other issue is, of course, that the CD is becoming obsolete. People have moved over to digital streaming, which pays fractions of a penny. Um, even MP3 sales are down because everybody can get sort of music for free. And the only people who are still consistently selling music at no reduced rate to their audience are street performers because that's an emotional connection that you have in the street and you want to take something with you that's nostalgic and so you want to buy their music or you want to show your support. And uh, that's, I mean, if, if we don't find a replacement for the CD, it's going to have to be done online and no other service is, is sort of enabling that in-person reaction. I mean, sure, you can go to Bandcamp when you get home onto your computer, but um, there's no app or service that does that in person, which is, which is what we're doing. I understand you have built an app both buskers and the audience can use. Can you explain how it works? It's a pretty fun experiment. Nobody's done something in this market before, but we thought, wouldn't it be nice if 
on my lunch break, I could open up an app, see a live busking map of the world, see where I am in relation to my nearest street performers. I could click and see who's, who's performing right now. And if I like it, I could walk down the road and go and see a great live show. And when the show's finished, uh, I could donate. So we've created an app and a website that basically showcases street performers and what they do. It has services like the cashless donations and um, online there's, there's music downloads. But um, yeah, it's, it's just a way of, of finding and appreciating great local independent artists. And it's almost a social network, isn't it? Buskers have profiles on it and you can, you can find out which Buskers is the most fun, the most liked in an area. Yeah, there's no getting away from it that we are a social network, but we like to think of ourselves as a response, you know, like an anti-social network, because other social networks are about providing you with entertainment while you're sitting at home looking at a laptop screen, which, uh, you know, it's, it's, I feel quite depressed about the amount of time I spend on the couch doing that. Um, so instead, we've created a social network which actually allows you to find people live. People say the whole time, oh, hey, you should use the uh, Periscope version on Twitter to, to stream live shows. And I'm, you know, it's the absolute opposite of what we're trying to do. We're trying to inspire people to get off the couch and, and actually go and see a live show. So yes, it's a social network. It does bring people together. Connect is probably the biggest word you could use to describe our project. But, but um, we're, we're really talking about connecting in person. So how can people find out about it? Go to busk.co, that's B-U-S-K dot C-O. You can go to the iTunes store and download our app. It's called Busk. Uh, we got Android on its way, so give us a month or two and, uh, and that'll be out. And is it all up and running or have you got plans for the future? It is all up and running. The... Uh, stuff we're developing at the moment is to make it easier for audiences to use and, and faster and, and tweaking it. Um, but I think the main, the main thing that we really need to develop is some way of businesses and festivals and governments and local authorities and landlords and shopping centers and all these people who organize public space to be able to use it to entertain the people who are walking through. I mean, I'm recording this at the moment in the O2 Arena, And aside from the ads for O2 and Starbucks, it's a pretty dead place. There's, there's uh, a few security guards shepherding people in and out with stern faces, but this place really could use a bit of live art. And uh, so if you're listening, Mr. O2, um, do give me a call and uh, we'll sort something out for you. So is there any way for people, businesses, to find a busker and hire them to entertain a group of people or their staff? Yeah, we've done some pretty fun things in the past We, uh, with a whiskey company called Tullamodew Irish Whiskey. You should definitely go and get yourself some of that. Um, we did this thing where they wanted to activate in bars. You know the the sort of cliche of having an attractive lady dress up in a miniskirt and offer people shots of Bacardi in a bar. You know, it's, it's sort of the sexist, horrible, whatever. Um, Talamodju decided they wanted to do something a little more respectful and something that sort of fit with their brand personality. And they decided that street performers would be a good way. So we went on tour in Eastern Europe with them to Prague, Bratislava and Pilsner. Um, 
drinking our way responsibly around Eastern Europe, going on a bar tour where each night we'd go to several different bars with these buskers. They would start performing unannounced, trying to get people to stand on tables and clap and you know join in with instruments and stuff, and it was a lot of fun. So we've done that. We've created busker platforms online for, um, for brands. We've sourced talent. We've co-produced a, a festival in Vancouver. We coordinated the busker program at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which is the world's largest outdoor festival. And um, so there's a lot of different ways we've worked in biz- with businesses in the past. Basically, uh, if I was to pitch it to them, street performers are the most engaging artists on the planet. Their daily training is how to catch somebody's attention within seven seconds and to keep them there. So if you want somebody for one of your events who immediately knows how to make an audience feel at home, uh, street performers are the natural people to ask, and and we have over 2,000 of them on our books, so uh, get in touch. Well, Nick, good luck. It's a good project. Thank you very much. Thank you. For more information, visit the Busking Project website www.busk.co The following Saturday, I went to Canterbury to meet some buskers. I spoke to John Fellingham first, who plays a very special cello. I also spoke to songwriter Leticia Pelaki and to the Peaks, a group of 16-year-olds. It was very windy on the day I went there, so do forgive me for the occasional unpleasant sound distortion. I think it's fantastic hearing sort of um, hearing people play in the street and things. It's different sort of talents, and I don't, I don't understand why people shouldn't be allowed to sort of busk in the sort of streets and things. And it's, yeah, it's definitely a very good thing. <laughs> it does make it more cheerful having nice music in the street. But some of the buskers are terrible, terrible musicians. This, however, is cheerful music. I'm in favour of it. But oh, yeah, some yeah. of them are terrible. Yeah, but some Awful. of them are good. Yes, so a balance. There's, a, there's a gentleman down there who's got a little uh, cello, a, a beautiful instrument, beautiful instrument, really, and he plays beautifully. You, Is he you here now? He's, he, he was this, well, he was an hour ago. Oh, down the street there? Yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. go there. Yeah. Thank he you. really has a lovely instrument. Take a look at the instrument. It's not a regular cello, it's much smaller than a regular cello. He plays very nicely. Thank you. My name's John Fellingham. So I see you're obviously playing in the street in Canterbury. Yeah. Have you been doing this for a while? A very long time, yeah. What's a very long time? Uh, over 30 years. And do you play in v- other venues as well? When opportunities come along uh, as a result of uh, 
the good fortune, depending on who's walking past in the street, then yeah, take those opportunities, yeah. So why are you playing in the street? Are there any advantages? Not really. Uh, it generates work to a certain extent and um, the regular employment for the type of music that I play on a regular uh, on a regular basis uh, is fairly infrequent. So to fill the gaps, uh, this is what I do. Yeah. It it is good publicity. Um, it is pretty cutthroat on the streets now. There are so many people doing it. Uh, I have to say, if you have regular bills to pay, there is a high stress factor because of so many unpredictable ingredients, not least of which is the weather, all the other buskers and the legalities in different towns. So yeah, it does publicize your music to a certain extent, uh, but there's pros and cons of the situation. I need to ask you about the instrument you're playing, what is it? It's a bit unusual. It's a cello, it uh, was made by a, a French friend of mine in Marseille a long time ago and I've been playing it ever since I sold my original cello to buy this one. Uh, and it uh, makes my life easier traveling around. Uh, it's smaller, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. So what's the advantage playing in the street? Uh, that you can go whenever you want, uh, as long as there's a free spot. And how does it work about spots? Can you just play wherever you like? Yes, in Canterbury we don't need license, so it's just uh, we come whenever we want. I play in a ballroom and uh, cricketers, uh, uh, different places as well, yeah. And do you earn good money from it? Uh, it depends as well, like it can go uh, quite good money or it can go uh, like almost nothing, but it depends also on the weather, on the people, on uh, everything uh, but I do it mostly to you know like to practice and uh, get out there. Excellent. Well we'll we'll have a listen. Yeah. Thank you Leticia. Thank you. If we're good enough to know we never see how far we go. If you're looking at us what is love? If we're still searching up for something getting I think music is, is very good in the streets. We've been a band for about a year. We, we sort of play rehearsals and stuff at school as well as coming kind of busking and gigs as well in the local area. Um, but two of us study music at school. Um, we're only 16, so I haven't chosen it for A-level yet. But. So do you like playing in the streets? Oh yeah, it's great. Good fun, as well as earning a bit of money for yourself. On average, you probably earn about the same for about a two, three hour busking set as we would for doing a set, a two hour set at a pub. So sometimes it'd be quite rewarding. And uh, also, it gets your name out there to a lot more people because in a pub, it's just whoever's in there. But in the streets, if somebody likes you, they can come up because there's just so many people walking past. Gigs as a result of playing in the streets. Like for example, last week we got a couple of weddings out of playing. So it's quite good. Excellent. And how does the public react? Generally. Um, really yeah, quite a bit of encouragement, encouraging words, uh, generally good feedback. Encouraging donations as well, so that's good, yeah. encouraging tips. Uh, it's a bit different to in a pub because a lot of the time people have come to see you, whereas in the street you're playing to everybody, no matter if they want to see you or not. 
So it's, uh, I mean, there is nothing negative, nobody tells you, ah, all this noise in the street. Yeah, yeah, some people do. Yeah, they do. Yeah, well, nobody usually comes up to you, but sometimes you can see people who look a bit more like they just want to head down, put their fingers in their ear or something. But usually, on the whole, we get a good reaction. Canterbury is a great city as well because obviously the, the culture here but there have been a couple of cases in the papers over the past, past two or three years where people are opposed to busking but they're short-lived really people tend to enjoy it a lot more than they don't so it's, yeah, it's good. Well, I'll let you play through it's called This? Yeah, yeah, it's really yeah. nice. Yeah. <laughs> Do you like music in the streets in general? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I really like when there is music in the streets where you're visiting a town or a place. So. Um, well, I think I think basking is brilliant for Canterbury. I think the more baskers, the better, as long as they're of a good quality, and um, as long as it's well managed, you know, and people don't overlap with each other, and there are problems like that, then it then it it creates a lively and exciting environment so I'm, I'm all for it I think it's uh, part of a it's an important part of a um, vibrant street scene um, you know it's, it was important for artists to be able to turn their work into a living and make money from it and whether that's through busking or performing to Wembley Arena it's all the same so I think it's I think it's great Welcome back. You're listening to the Ken Creative Live Show on Channel Radio. And now we have a track from John Fellingham, the first busker we spoke to in the feature you've just heard. The piece is by Beethoven, Moonlight Sonata, Claro de Luna. And this is from his album More Sounds of Freedom.
you can contact John Fellingham by email john.fellingham at free.fr and Fellingham is F-E-L-L-I-N-G-H-A-M. Let's have a break now and I'll see you in a few seconds. Rift Research and Development. Tax rewards for innovative small businesses. Riftresearch.com Find suppliers and quote for work with local Kent businesses at supplymybusiness.co.uk Welcome back. You're listening to the Kent Creative Live Show on Channel Radio. Hazel Adley is a coach and she has recorded a number of items for the Kent Creative Live Show aimed at artists and creative. We have spoken with her about recognition and rejection in previous shows. Today, we're talking about money. What I thought we'd start with is talking about a topic that's a hot topic for a lot of um, practicing artists, which is talking about make art and making money. Because um, when I've gone to Kent Creative Live meetings, this is a topic that comes up time and time again. Um, and I think it seems to be that there's a massive discord between making your creative process as a business. I know, Natalie, you've come across this with the work you do as well, that people seem to fight that sense of identity as an artist and as someone who's, dare I say it, in business. And you can almost hear the shock horror, um, the word business and art being linked. Um, but I think if you run your own art practice, you have a choice to make about whether you actually do it as a hobby or you do it as your business so you need to think about money you need to think about whether money's covered whether you've got um that part of your life sorted because you can't really relax into your art if you're stressing about money um so sometimes people have a part-time job sometimes they go into education some people decide that they need to make their money from their art to survive and other people do it as a hobby. So I know a lot of people who are really lucky that they have a husband who can kind of provide for them. And then they're free to actually do what they, they feel drawn to doing. So I think it can come in many forms, how you make your money around your art. But you do really have to make a choice about whether you're going to put that pressure on your creative practice to make your money or not. Elizabeth Gilbert, in her book, Big Magic, she talks about, as a writer, how she made this deal with her creativity that she was never going to rely on it for money. So she was going to turn up every day and be a writer and play the long game. It's a lifelong commitment. But she was never going to put that pressure on it. And um, she was very lucky that her third or fourth book became like an international bestseller and had a movie made. So that was a stroke of luck, but she never expected that. Um, she was always going to do other things to support her her work and she actually had um, part-time jobs alongside her first two published books as well so I like that idea of your creativity is this kind of thing that you look after whereas when you decide that you're going to get your money from creativity you then put this like amazing pressure on it to perform in some way and again that's fine but it's about making a conscious choice one thing I want to mention is because with Kent Creative Live, we talk about supporting creatives to make money and make, have a business from their art. 
But I think there's no shame in having a part-time job or a job alongside making your art. For me, I think it's about the, the journey for the creative. That's what I'm passionate about, is supporting that person to be able to, to do what they're driven to do and what inspires them. For me, it's less about the end piece. It's about that, that personal creative journey. Um, and so if that means having a part-time job, I think that's fine. And actually, that can be quite nourishing because you're stepping outside of your normal world and you're feeding yourself, you're filling your creative pool by the people you're meeting and the places you're going to, potentially. So, but if you do choose to earn your living as, as an artist, then you kind of need to have a game plan and you need to kind of make that commitment and be all in because if you're fighting it and you're doing that thing of feeling guilty or shameful in some way that, that you need to make money and you're fighting doing what will make you money. I notice a lot of people aren't, they aren't doing what it takes to get money. So they're not sort of doing best practice or not taking advice because there's a part of them sabotaging. So it is kind of about being all in and learning how you're sabotaging yourself because we all do it. Um, there's people like Natalie who will give loads of great advice. And I, I've received great advice in my business and just somehow ignored it and conveniently forgot it. So I think the first thing to do is to make that commitment. If you're going to earn money from your art, make it a, a fully-fledged, wholehearted decision, um, full-bodied, rather than just um, kind of dallying with it and dancing around it because you're not going to get anywhere and then you're going to feel like it doesn't work, but you're not actually all in. And I think once you get that decision, it's then getting a game plan. So it's understanding what it takes to run a creative business. Like, for instance, just the basics of people stress about the money side of things. So it's finding your way of dealing with that. So you could hire a bookkeeper or you could do your own books. There's so many options, but it's just identifying what you don't know and then getting advice on how to solve it. Um, If I was coaching you around it, we would do just that. We'd work out all the things that are troubling you, all the things that you're not sure how to do and get a plan in place for learning that and then that makes it easy right you you know what you need to do in terms of money a lot of um, artists we both spoke to mm-hmm. don't actually know how much money they should earn to pay for their life mm. and yes. it's this survival budget that many people don't have yeah that's so, so true and there is it's part of the sabotage thing because mm. I wish a bit more were more comfortable with actually knowing how much their life costs, mm-hmm. therefore how much they should earn just to cover the basic cost of living. It's very surprising to see that very many do not know that. Yes, yeah, do of, not want to know. Yeah, I get. I really get that because fear around this can be quite strong, and it's almost like if you know, then you have to face your shortfall. Mm-hmm. But Again, it's choices. Do you want to live a life where you might be recurrently falling short because you don't know those figures and you can't make those informed choices? And it's, I think for me, it's not just the survival budget, it's the aspirational budget. So when you, I like to plan for the whole year and I do a one-page business plan and I like to think of the big things I want to achieve that year and put a price tag on those and build those in 
it may or may not be what I actually earn, but if I set that as a goal, I can break it down into smaller steps, smaller targets. Oh, targets is a strange word to use on a creative show. Um, but it's, it's about knowing where I'm aiming or where you're aiming. So if you don't have a figure in mind, you don't know what you're doing. It's and that could be transposed into how many exhibitions one could take part in, how many group shows, exactly. how many works to produce. You know. Because when you look at these figures, so however many thousands you need that year, um, you need to then think about, well, what's my game plan? So that is exactly that. What's the mix of things you're going to do to get that money? And you might might not know it depends how experienced you are with making your art and what the opportunities are out there but you could say well I'm going to get funded to do one community project I'm going to do two craft markets one in London so it's a different market different sort of um caliber of um sort of audience I, I don't know it's whatever it is for you and it might filter down to oh oh my gosh that means I need to produce x amount of work and then that's like, well, what does that mean every day, every week, every month? And that sounds like a big job, but it really can be done in 20 minutes. You, you set your, your wish list as such for what you want to achieve. Money is a byproduct. It's not the, um, the end point. And money flows in and out constantly, so it's never something to be fixated upon. It's just a measurable kind of tar- target. It's not, it's not what it's all about. And um, if you're getting to a place where you're fixating on the money, then you need to deal with your money mindset and how you you deal with money personally. And that's important to, I think, realise that it's not a problem to earn money. (laughs) It's okay. Of course it is. There's some big kind of social values um, and beliefs around earning money from doing something that's more vocational. So um, I know that lots of people who do holistic practices have the same thing where they have a calling to do something, they have a skill and it's a, give, it's a very giving skill and it's almost like you shouldn't use your talents to make money and there's something wrong about that and something dirty about that for a lot of people. And I, for me, I just think that's crazy because you've been gifted with something unique and so in my mind, my personal take on it is that your duty is to share that then and it's to give that out to the world. But you can only do that if you can afford the time. And you can only afford the time if you've got money coming to pay for your, your budget of what you need and want. So it's an exchange. It's, it doesn't have to have any emotions attached. That's easy to say, obviously. But um, it just doesn't have to be negatively emotioned. So if there are people out there who are uncomfortable with earning money from their art and are aware of it and would like to change, would like to feel a bit more positive about that, what would you say to them? Oh gosh, it's such a big topic and it's unique to each individual. But I would say start looking at how you feel about money. So thinking about your your relationship with money how do you manage your money do you, is manage a dirty word um and there's an exercise you can do around your money values so you can ask yourself the question money is dot 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 and then write the first 10 things that come to mind and you do it really fast so money is and 
what this will show you is a snapshot of your instinctive um, mindset around money. And I think the first stage is really raising your awareness because how you, you think about things is actually your choice. We just don't realize we have that choice. And awareness is the first step to taking back that control rather than our automatic thinking. So just start to notice and see how many of those things are negative, how many are positive, and then look at the negatives and see if, if they're real, if they're true. We have beliefs and our beliefs feel real, but they're a thought that's happened over and over and over and worn a groove. And um, we will like almost fight to the death for our beliefs because we believe them to be true, but they really are just thoughts. And thoughts are subjective. So when you're looking at your money values, it it could just be a thought that you've inherited from someone. So perhaps see if any of it sounds familiar. Maybe where did they come from? Was it an experience? Was it um, a family member growing up? And that's another thing you can do is look at your family's um, relationship with money. How healthy was that? Because you're likely to have adopted similar mindset. So yeah, I think the first thing is just to raise your awareness. And if you want to make money from your art, you need to choose that. And you need to find a way to be okay with it. And if you fight it, none of this will work. You do need to actually be up for making that shift. And I don't think um, we were messaging about this. And I don't think it will turn you into Donald Trump. (laughs) Like I don't think it will change your character. It's just about enabling that exchange for your time and your energy. And that enables you to live and to support and care about those around you. So it's, it's that simple. So first start looking at your values and then where they come from and be open to changing them. Hey there, thank you very much. Welcome back. This was Hazel Adley and we'll see her again on the show. The Kent County Photographic Association is holding their yearly exhibition of photographs at Creek Creative in Faversham. So I went to the private view to let them tell us a bit more about it. My name is Anna Lomakin. Um, I'm the president of the Kent County Photographic Association. I've been the president for the past three years. Unfortunately, my time ends in uh, end of June, but I've enjoyed it. The Kent County Photographic Association is uh, approximately 50 clubs in, in and around Kent and East Sussex. We help these clubs um, by holding an exhibition like this. They're allowed to put as many images as they like, and from that we, we choose some very good judges from around the country to select the best of the images. We here have got 129 uh, prints and just over 200 PDIs. Uh, PDI is the projected digital image, and uh, it's all on show here. It's been put up very, very well by the uh, Creek Creative staff and I hope people who come around and look at it will be encouraged to uh, put some more images, join a club, get in, get involved and uh, this, from here, this isn't the end. From now we, we have more judges to uh, select some more images to go forward to the uh, PAGB.
The PAGB is the Photographic Alliance of Great Britain, of which the KCPA is part of. There are 15 federations in the country and each one has an exhibition every year and we choose the best from each exhibition and they judge again in June and from that the, uh, the best images of Great Britain are chosen. It'll be uh, 75 colour, 75 black and white and a few PDIs. <laughs> Now, what, going back to KCPA, mm -hmm. this sort of event, this collective exhibition, Yes. are you doing this every year? This is an annual exhibition. It's run by us every year. Uh, it's to encourage uh, people to, to enter their uh, images that they may have shown at the club level, and they may think, oh, I've done very well in the club, and we say, well, okay, let's put it into the exhibition. Let's see if the uh, top judges feel the same same way and they often do the the members select their own images um, they they usually show them first at the club mm -hmm. and a, a, a local judge looks at them and th they get the idea or the impression that the uh, image is very good and from that they can say well I, I think I'll just go one step further and put it in the exhibition so what sort of criteria do you have to select good pictures well, this is what you learn at the class. By joining the club, the criteria of how a picture should look, you learn over the years being in the club. It's not quite as easy as, you know, people go out and take snap pictures. And it, it really takes some learning to make sure that you've got your image in the right place, it's been cropped correctly, the sharpness is there in the right place, and there's no offending light on the edges, outer edges of the uh, print, it's not as easy as people think and uh, you only, you learn by looking at images like this and you learn by listening to your club members and the judges that come round to the clubs, they often give you very, very good information. Thank you very much. Okay. I'm senior vice president, so uh, I'm, I'm here really to um, uh, represent the, the committee here and make sure everything goes smoothly and see if I can help out in any way. Did it go smoothly? I thought it went very, very well. I think they're, they're a really good team, really good team. So tell me about what the show is about. This, um, we've got about uh, 2,300 members in the Kent County Photographic Association. Um, divided up into about 55 clubs all the way uh, Kent, um, a bit into London and quite a few in Sussex now and each year we have an annual exhibition both in prints and in projected digital images and we, um, we have this exhibition, it's judged by three external judges who are not relative to our county and those, uh, and those people make the, make the scores and you end up with a selection that you see around you today. I'm really impressed by the quality. Uh, my my, my, my uh, appraisal of this work is a lot of professional photographers would like to be half as good as some of the people here today. So people are not professional? No, most of these are amateur. They do it for fun. And they spend, they spend their money on their holidays and their cameras and going places and putting sheets of paper through printers and 
Yeah, it's just, it is just basically for fun. I, I, th I think everybody should be very, very proud and we've got a big tradition of photography in Kent and it's been maintained and it's, uh, it's good to see. My name is Simon Newlin. What are you doing here tonight? I'm here because I've fortunately been very lucky. I've got won two awards and I'm here to look at the pictures. What do you mean you're fortunate? Oh, I took two pictures that seemed to have approved by the judges, but that's it. So which club are you part of? Folkestone. Folkestone. Yeah. And what are the pictures? Uh, one is a digital picture of um, Whippets racing. It's the start of the race. And all the characters in the race are very highly concentrated and the dogs are just running out of the picture. So it's a, a picture of the moment. Uh, and the other is a portrait of a young lady. And how long have you been a member of the Folkestone Club? Um, two and a half years, I think. Oh. And were you involved in photography before that? Uh, yes, I mean, I've taken photographs uh, since I was a teenager, but I haven't been a club member until Folkestone's my first club. So uh, that's... I've always been interested, but I've only taken pictures when I was on holiday or had free time. And why did you join the club then? Why did I join the club? Because I thought I would be able to learn more about photography, um, share the experiences with people. Because um, to be slightly snobbish, sometimes the public don't quite understand the effort that goes behind a picture. Uh, with other photographers, you can at least get hit over the head and told you're being stupid. This is for members of clubs to put their own work in, not represent the club, they're representing themselves. So it's up to the individual member if, if, if they go in for it. So you send your work off, that's assessed by some very competent judges and you keep your fingers crossed. Simple as that really. You've been a member of the Faberfam Camera Club for a while? Long while, surely yeah. So yeah. what, what, you're still submitting your pictures to these competitions? Yeah, yeah it gives so you something to do. Yeah. Oh, it's more than that, isn't it? it, it it's, it's just pure enjoyment, simple as that really. Yeah. It's good and you're still enjoying it. Yeah. Just about. What, what is yeah. most enjoyable? Take the picture? Or? Oh yeah, the good part is, is going out, getting out and about, yeah, definitely. Been out with him, you either sweat your eyeballs out sitting in a tin can or you freeze to death on the side of a mountain. But that's where he gets his results. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with the Cairngorm Mountains in February in a blizzard. That's good. Thank you. You're welcome. One of them in the major category, Red Squirrel by Robert Connolly. Welcome back. So the show is on until the 1st of May at Creek Creative, 1 Abbey Street in Faversham, ME 137BE. So we're almost at the end of the show and I would like to mention one thing that I was made aware of when I was in Canterbury. It is the City Sound Project Festival. And it is described as a boutique music festival held across multiple venues, gardens and stages across the historic city of Canterbury. And this is happening during the bank holiday weekend. That is Saturday the 30th of April and Sunday the 1st of May. 
So they say it's uh, covering every major UK genre of music. So it looks absolutely interesting. And if you want some more details, you can check the website, which is www.ctsoundproject.com. So that's it for today. Thank you for listening. Before I go, I will leave you with Fiddle and Faf and their tract called My Darling Boy. Fiddle and Faf is a musical folk duo with Christine Adams and Lissy Bayford. And this is from their album, The Wooden Chairs. And we'll also have another piece by John Fellingham, Ode to Joy. So see you next week, Tuesday at 4 o'clock on Channel Radio. You'll be able to listen to that show again for a week on the Channel Radio website, channelradio.co.uk, and also, and for longer than that, on the Can Creative Live website, cancreativelive.org. You can connect with us via Twitter. The handle is cancreativeart, and you can use the hashtag cancreativelifeshow, and we're also on Facebook, cancreativelifeshow. Thank you again and bye-bye.